One of my uh, one of my favorite books is uh, a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you perhaps maybe have read it. It's called Life Together, and it's about it's a book about Christian community and. And in it has also one of my favorite quotes. It goes something like this. He says, People who love community destroy community. But people who love people create community wherever they go. And let me say it again. He says, People who love community destroy community wherever they go. But people who love people, they create community wherever they go. Now, now, why do I mention that? The reason I mention that is we jump back into Galatians tonight. We've got tonight and then two more sermons after this week uh, before we finish up this book. This, this passage we're looking at is all about how freedom in Christ leads to, results in gospel relationships. And I, I mentioned that quote from, from Bonhoeffer because it it highlights something this passage highlights if we're ever to understand uh, not just um, relationships but gospel community. That it, sometimes it's easy to think about community kind of in the abstract and in sort of this big idea, but there is no community apart from the me and the you, the personal. And we see it come out in this passage in verse 2 of chapter 6 when Paul says, Bear one another's burdens. And that's what we're going to hone in on tonight, is what Paul is talking about when he says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, before we do that, I want to, again, remind you where we are in in the book. Chapter 5, verse 1 begins when Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And then he launches into essentially the, the, the ethical teaching of the letter. He's been expounding this Christian gospel in the first four chapters and defending it from those who would say, no, you need a different gospel. You need faith in Jesus plus something else. Beginning in chapter 5, Paul begins to work out, okay, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. If that's true, what what is now possible? What new life is now possible in light of what Jesus has accomplished? So Paul has set the rest of what he's going to say in chapters 5 and 6 in light of the rescuing, redeeming, freeing work of Jesus. And it's always important to remember that because nowhere in the Bible do you ever see the writers of Scripture base their good news they have for you on your performance. They never come to you and say, do or be this so that God will be this or that to you. The writers always begin with, here is who God is and what He has done. Therefore, do you see what this new life is that is now held out to you and possible in and through Jesus. And so we're going to pick up here in verse 25 tonight where Paul has already been talking about the Spirit in verses 16 through 24, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. And in verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What's that mean? What does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? 
The answer to that he gives us in verses 26 through verse 5 of chapter 6, which we're going to look at. And it's all about our relationships. And I want you to think as we work our way through this together, we're going to look at these gospel relationships. I want us to see three things. We're going to see that these gospel relationships are a gift, that they're spiritual, and they're liberating. That they're a gift, they're spiritual, and they're liberating. And I, I want you to think, too, as we're, we're talking, I want you to try to think on a very personal level about relationships in your life. And try and filter what we're, we're being told from this passage as concretely as you can. Begin with your spouse. Begin with your children. Begin with your coworkers. Begin with your neighbors. Begin close and see what you learn about these relationships. So first, let's begin with gospel relationships are a gift. Look in verse 2, again, of chapter 6, where Paul basically gives us here a principle. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If, you, if you're looking in your worship folder where this text is printed or you have a Bible in front of you, look also at verse 13 of chapter 5 where he says, you were called to freedom, brothers. And then he says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what does he mean there? Well, verse 2 of chapter 6 fills it out. When he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are parallel statements, but this verse 2 takes it a step further. It's not just loving your neighbor, serving your neighbor. It's bearing one another's burdens. And we'll see in a moment that that's deliberate, that that's an echo of the gospel, that to understand what it means to love one another, to serve one another, is burdensome. It's bearing one another's burdens. Which, if you think about it, is rather a bold statement, especially when Paul began earlier in chapter 5, and he says, after he says, for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, to another burden. Well, what's he saying? Well, in that context, he's talking about the law of God as a means of self-justification. But gospel freedom, rightly understood, moves you to bear the burdens of others. And these relationships, we were to be into, I, when I was thinking about this this week, I initially had for this point that gospel relationships are costly. And that's true. But I want you to think about it in terms of these are a gift. When Paul says to bear one another's burdens, this is a gift that we give to one another. Now, why do I say that? Because the assumption in verse 2 is we are all burdened. Notice it says, bear one another's burdens. It's not that some of us are burdened. It's that to be human is to be burdened. Now, there's no question that there are seasons in life where you might be under a particularly acute amount of burden. But see, what Paul is helping us to see here is that the gift we have to give to one another 
is to bear one another's burdens. Because you are a person who needs that same gift. That the very essence of the Christian life is, could be summed up in bearing one another's burdens, which is why he says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This isn't a sidebar activity. For Paul, this describes all that it means to trust in Jesus and to follow him. And why is that the case? Why does Paul use this image, this kind of language? Well, the reason he uses this metaphor of bearing a burden, it could easily come out of the agricultural language of a beast of burden who's yoked to a plow. And it has the idea of there's two followers of Jesus, one who is bearing this burden by himself or herself, and someone else comes along and shoulders it with him or with her. Why does he use this language? The reason he uses this language is because it's how Jesus relates to us. In 1 Peter, we read this as our part of our uh, words of grace from our confession of sin. Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. See, the gift of burden-bearing, of bearing one another's burdens, it is a gift that we first must receive from Jesus. You see, if we're ever to bear one another's burdens, you have to realize that you are first a burden to Jesus. That Jesus had to bear your burden. Your burden of guilt, of shame, of indifference, of self-righteousness. And this, this is what's so hard about what Paul's saying here is that who wants to be a burden to someone else? I, I venture to guess for almost all of us in this room, the main reason we lack perhaps deeper, richer relationships is we don't want to burden someone else. Well, why not? Because it's humbling. It's vulnerable. It's exposing. They might take what you share with them or invite them into and misuse that information. And you might have to actually have a hard conversation about that. It's humbling. You can't hide. Somebody else actually has to help you. And you see, this is why Paul spends so much time around this verse 2, talking about, we'll look at here in a moment, verse 26, about pride. And then verses 3 to 5 are essentially about comparing ourselves to other people. Those are the two biggest enemies to actually allowing someone else access to you to the point where they could bear you along and help you. Just think about what what might this look like? How does Jesus do this for us? Well, obviously, by dying on the cross. But if you think about his ministry for a moment, his earthly ministry, let me just give you four very quick ways he does this. And we'll circle back to these later and pick them up for ways for us to begin to perhaps practice this idea of bearing one another's burdens. But think about Jesus. 
Jesus is described as the one who prays for us. Jesus lives to intercede for you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He never stops praying for you. But he also listens to us. Matthew 11 again, Jesus invites you, come to me. Tell me about your burdens. Let me in. Don't be afraid. And I will give you rest. He listens to us. He's never distracted. He's never put off. He's always attentive. He's never looking at the people in the room over your shoulder. He also walks with us. He became one of us. He had to be made just like his brothers. He was tempted in every way that you are. He has walked where you walk. And then lastly, he has endured to the end. He never gave up, even to the point of dying on the cross. Now, how is that kind of gift possible? How can you give that gift to one another? How can you receive that gift from one another? And the answer Paul gives us is that he teaches us that these gospel relationships are spiritual. And I say that with a capital S. That this is only possible by the Spirit. If you notice in this section, Paul tells us, walk by the Spirit, uh, to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, the whole of the Christian life is enveloped in the Spirit of Jesus. And we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but to have Jesus is to have His Spirit. And to have His Spirit is to have Jesus. It's what the New Testament writers talk about when they, they use the language being in Christ, being united to Him, that He had to go away in order that He might send His Spirit to take up residence in your life. And you remember, perhaps from a couple weeks ago, why do we need the Spirit? Well, because if you look in verse 17, I don't think I printed this for you, but we learned a couple weeks ago that the Christian life is a life of conflict between the flesh and the Spirit. It's a life of conflict. Our desires are at war with God's Spirit who now lives in us. But, if you look at verse 16, notice what he says. He says, but if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do you give this gift of these kinds of relationships? Well, the only way that happens is through fellowship with Jesus. You see, what we don't need is to manage our own desires and passions better. That will just make you a more proud, indifferent person. We need new desires. We need God to remake us from the inside out. We just don't, we don't need better self-management. In fact, if you think about it, there, there's, there, in the ancient world, the definition of freedom for the Greeks was self-management, self-control that you're only truly free to the degree to which 
you were not ruled by your passions and desires. But Paul is saying, you cannot do that. Because your passions and desires are at war with the Spirit. The Spirit, Jesus, must subdue us, give us new desires and new passions. Now, what is, the, what, are the, what is the enemy? Why do we need these new desires? Why do we need the Spirit to live and to walk by the Spirit and to recognize that we can't even make headway at these kind of relationships of bearing one another's burdens apart from the Spirit? Well, look in verse 26. Paul says, let us not become conceited. There's another way of saying being, being proud. And there are two versions here. Look, he says, provoking one another, that's one version, or envying one another, that's another version. And I want to linger with this, uh, over this with you for a moment to help us to see how is it that our relationships go awry because of pride. There are two ways. One, provoking one another. Think of this like trash talking. This idea here of, of pride manifesting itself in one-upsmanship. Now, these are things you might not ever say, but in our heart of hearts, we're constantly comparing ourselves, evaluating. There's a sense of superiority that creeps in. In contrast, envying one another. What is that view? Looking at one another and wishing... I wish I had that person's life. Or, God, how come you haven't given me those kind of children? Or, God, why haven't you given me children at all? Or, God, why haven't you given me those kinds of friends? Or that much vacation? Or that much competence in that area? It's an inferiority complex. But both of them are pride either looking down on one another or looking up at one another. Those are the two great enemies of these relationships, of being able to bear one another's burdens. Because if you're looking down on, one, on somebody, you're not going to bear their burden. You're going to think that they're just weak and they need to get their act together. If you're looking up at people, you're never going to ask for help because you're always going to feel like a failure. You feel like a fraud. Feel like you're not entitled to that. or you, you don't deserve that. Or they've got better things to do. And in fact, C.S. Lewis helps us to bring some of this together in his uh, book, Mere Christianity, when he's talking about pride. He writes, what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive while the other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. Now, where, where does all that come from? Where do those desires and passions that... Give, give way to pride in a superior way or an inferior way? Well, if you think about the whole book of Galatians, those all come from the need to justify yourself. 
the need to know that you, on your own merit, are worthy. And until you abandon that commitment, you will never be free from pride. You will never bear one another's burdens. You will never let someone else bear your burden. Because you must abandon your self-campaign to justify your existence on your own merits. That's where those desires and passions come from that rend our relationships apart, that make it so hard to humbly help somebody else or to humbly receive help from somebody else. But there's hope. How do we overcome those desires, those passions? Well, look in verse 24, chapter 5. Paul says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. To put it simply, in Jesus and his cross... Your passions, your desires meet their match. They're vanquished of their power. They no longer have to rule you anymore. Because on the cross, what happens is the power of sin is broken. Because Jesus died and he rose again from the dead. Now what that means is you are to consider yourself dead to those desires and passions. They're at war in you against God's Spirit that nurture that pride and that insecurity that makes you provoke or envy. So if the gospel relationships we're looking at here, bearing one another's burdens, that they're a, if those are a gift and we experience those by living by the Spirit, what what do they lead to? What can we look forward to if this is true? Well, let's look here, that these relationships, they're liberating. They're freeing. Look in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Now, I want to be really clear about something here, but I also want you to see uh, a distinction. In this verse, Paul is saying that to bear one another's burdens, to restore someone, is to rescue them, is to liberate them out of the bondage of sin. Do you realize how amazing that is? That you... Let, let, me, let me give you a concrete example. I, I know for some of you, because I've talked to you, being a parent is utterly overwhelming. And I know you feel inadequate. And I don't ever want to minimize the need to... Uh, th- that feeling of being inadequate. And we as, as, as elders don't ever want to min- minimize our need to help to equip you. But I do want, want you to think about something. Maybe think about parenting as bearing the burdens of your children. Think about parenting as a way in which you, in the hands of God, by His Spirit, 
can restore your children, can help them to see they're trapped. Now, I want to be really clear. Jesus is the one who bears your punishment. Jesus on the cross alone can bear the guilt and shame for sin. Parents can't do that. Friends can't do that. Siblings can't do that. But do you see what you're being, what is described here is if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, which I take that to mean a Christian, given all of the language earlier in this, in this chapter about walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, keeping step with the Spirit, to be spiritual is to be in Christ. Restore him. Restore her. Now, what does that mean? When, when, when you are enter into bearing another person's burdens, it will wear you out. You will see things that are frustrating. You will see folly. You'll see bad decisions. You'll see self-indulgence. You'll see ugliness. But he also says, keep watch. Because we're all prone to that very same thing. We're all prone to that very same thing. And he says, with a spirit of gentleness, bearing one another's burdens means not beating someone over the head or just exposing them, guilting them, shaming them. No, what it means to bear another's burdens is to think of Jesus. To think of Jesus bearing your burdens to the point of death. You see, Jesus came, and it's by his wounds that you have been healed. I want you to think about this. If that's true, isn't it also the case then to be in him means that you, by bearing one another's burdens, would be an instrument of healing to one another? That's beautiful. That's painful. But that's the gospel. That God would use us in that way. Now, how do you work this out? Remember how I said about Jesus, how he prays and he listens and he walks and he endures. Here's what I want, I want you to think about. This idea of bearing one another's burdens under those four ideas. How do you do this? Well, pray for one another. If you see someone who you know is weighed down and you can tell they just don't want, or you're, they, they just don't want to talk about it, pray for them. What about listen? I think this is an area I know I, I have to grow in, and I wonder about each of you. Can, do you listen? How much of what we need when it comes to bearing one another's burdens is just someone to listen just someone to understand, to say back to us that in their own words what we're weighed down by and us to go, yes, that's it. Just to listen, to take the time to listen. And what about to walk with them? To listen enough to where you're able to actually come alongside them in such a way that their load is lighter 
and that you willingly take on their weight. Not all of it. You can't take all of it on. But some of it. And you endure with them. How do you endure? The only way I know to endure is that Jesus is bigger in your life than the burden that you're carrying. That's the only way I know is that looking to him and his endurance is so precious to you and so beautiful and so valuable that you can't but help endure for another person in that way. I realize, like, these are one of those passages that is just, you could mine it. There's so much this week I thought of and kept thinking of what I wanted to share with you. I just want you to marinate in this. What does gospel freedom lead you to? It leads you to bear one another's burdens. That Jesus has set you free so that through love we might serve one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that as we reflect on this passage, that you in the hands of your spirit, that you would help us to enjoy this gift that we can give one another. Because it's the gift that you have given us to bear one another's burdens. And we pray, Father, that you would help us by your spirit, that you would subdue us, that you would humble us, that you would protect us from self-deception, from indifference, from ignoring one another. I pray, Father, that the gospel would soften us, make us tender, that it would enable us to both receive help and give help and see that as at the very heart of what it means to be your people, at the very heart of what it means to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with you and what you love and what you long for for us and for this world. Would you please do that? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.